Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about Pentecost. And uh, well, let's just go ahead and read these first verses here in Acts chapter 1, 4, and 5, and then verse 8. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then in verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Those are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And then he was ascended on high, went up into heaven. His ascension, his seating, his coronation service that took place in heaven after he completed redemption. There are seven Jewish feast days that reveal to us God's redemptive plan for man. And each one of those days has significance and tremendous importance. And we're going to talk about those briefly, but mainly one. Number one, Passover. On Passover was the crucifixion. The Passover lamb was slain. Number two, the next day was unleavened bread, which was the burial of Jesus. Number three, first fruits these are consecutive feasts first fruits the resurrection of Jesus would you agree with me that the crucifixion has significance would you agree with me that the burial of Jesus has significance you say why because if he didn't truly if he wasn't truly buried publicly where everybody saw what took place how could you validate his death and then give credence to his resurrection you see why it was done publicly and during what we call the Easter season which is really resurrection season it's important that we remember these events that took place. They're a major part of our Christian heritage. Okay, then the resurrection of Jesus, which validates the fact that he was truly raised from the dead. And everything he said, everything that he spoke was true. So if he could be raised from the dead, you can believe everything he said to be true. Would you say amen to that? The next spring feast is called Pentecost. And last Sunday in the Christian community, that was to be celebrated Pentecost last Sunday in the Jewish community it's Shavuot and that took place on May the 30th so that's the fourth spring feast which for us it was 50 days after the resurrection after Easter Sunday Pentecost Sunday was last Sunday we honored our students that graduated and all that but I didn't want to overlook this because it's significant it's important extremely significant and important and we need to know about it but before we get to that you've got three more feasts and they have significance and importance as well during this particular time it's called the harvest in between the last spring feast and then the first fall feast harvest time and we're harvesting the precious fruit of the earth bringing people into the uh, saving grace of God then we have next on the list of feast trumpets and what takes place on the feast of trumpets it stands for the rapture of the church would you call that significant can you imagine when every believer is removed from the earth no matter what they're doing you might be doing your favorite thing like taking out the garbage and suddenly you're gone my desire would be that we would all be right here worshiping together and then gone amen in a heartbeat in a moment in the twinkling of an eye we're gone would you call that significant anybody here ready for it how about the rest of you i'm ready for it even so come lord jesus but that's tremendously important and do you think it'll cause no small stir on the earth when we're all gone when all believers are gone and the people are, that are left behind have got to navigate through life now knowing there's seven years of tribulation. The next event is called the Feast, the Atonement. This is the Atonement. 
And the atonement, of course, is when the blood is taken and applied yearly by the high priest to the uh, <clears throat> judgment seat, actually, the, in, in, the, in the holiest place of all, to basically cover the sins of Israel for one year. But the blood of Jesus has already been applied and we know that, so the atonement has already taken place, but the Orthodox Jew has never received the blood of Jesus Christ because they don't accept them as the Messiah. But at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, guess what's going to happen? They will see him. They're about to be destroyed. But they see him coming. And when he comes and touches, touches down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, they accept his atoning blood once and for all. So that's the atonement. Would you call that significant? When all of Israel accepts the blood of Jesus Christ... Amen. Is the atonement for their sin? Sure. And then the last is called the Feast of what? Tabernacles. And that is the 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ on the earth. Would you call that significant? And what a beautiful time it's going to be. Think about it. When the wolf lies with the lamb and the wolf won't eat the lamb. They just pal around together. And Satan is eliminated from human contact for 1,000 years. Nobody's sick. That's pretty significant, wouldn't you say? For 1,000 years, people once again go back to living like 900 years old. You think your bones are aching now. Can you imagine living to be 900 years old, 1,000 years old? People will be 1,000 years old living on the earth that way. When you got Satan eliminated from human contact, it's a better place to live in. Now, those are all significant, wouldn't you say? So then why is it that seemingly in the church Pentecost is minimized? Why? Let's talk about that. What is Pentecost? What does it celebrate? Yes, it was the Feast of Harvest for the Jews. And as I said, the harvest time, the harvest season, season is now. But it was also the advent of the Holy Spirit, and listen, and the birth of the church. There was no Christian church before this. This is the advent of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the Christian church. And that's what we want to talk about today. In the book of Acts chapter 2, this is what we discover. Jesus told his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem until they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit or until they're endued with power from on high. Now, these individuals, you have to understand this, walk with Jesus three and a half years, were trained by Jesus three and a half years. They were schooled, they were taught by Jesus. You couldn't get better trained than what they were. But just as Jesus did not do one work until he was anointed from on high by the Holy Ghost in Acts 10.38, God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power, went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He, the Son of God, who was perfect in every way, had to be anointed by the Spirit. He told his disciples, you go there and you don't do anything. Don't do anything at all, but wait until the promise of the Father. So 40 days he was on the earth with them, and he ministered to them, and taught them and showed himself alive, and ate fish with them and all that. Even cooked for them. What a good Savior. But then he went back to heaven, and 10 days later, this, is this took place. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this took place. These men needed more than what they had, even though they were trained by Jesus. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, what day came? What day came? This is the day. Every, let's say, celebration of the feast before that was only a t shadow of what was to come. And on this day, this is the fulfillment of that last four sp spring feast. On the day of Pentecost, the actual day of Pentecost, there were, they were all with one accord in one place. If you could pull that picture up of flaming tongues of fire, I mean, I'd appreciate that. If you can't, that's not a problem. And suddenly, suddenly, what happened suddenly? There came a sound from heaven. Where did it come from? Heaven. Of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. Who's they? 120 people were sitting in this house. Including Mary, the mother of Jesus, the apostles, and many others. And you know what? In my, this is my opinion now. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. Since Jesus appeared to 500 at one time. There could have been more. In my opinion, there could have been more than 120 in that upper room. But there were 120 in that upper room. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon some of them. How many of them? Each and every one of them. How significant is that? God knew there might be some that say, well, it's not for everybody. Right? It's not for everybody. No, 
a cloven tongue like as a fire sat upon every single one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so this is the advent of the Holy Spirit and this is the birth of the church, the Christian church. This took place in Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Zimbabwe. Notice, as the preacher evangelistically was ministering there as a missionary and preached what I just shared with you here today, there appeared in this picture cloven tongues like as a fire sitting upon each and every individual person that was in that congregation. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost as it was on the day of Pentecost. And I think this was 2005 or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the date was. But that took place in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. So it's important for us to know that before this, there was no Christian church. Before this, there were no denominations. I want to get to that in just a moment. But look at these particular scriptures in Acts Chapter 9, chapter 22, chapter 24. Christianity at that time was not called by any denomination. It was called by one expression, the way. So look at Acts chapter 9 verse 2. This is the Apostle Paul, who at this point was not the Apostle Paul, but was the persecutor Saul. He was the one that was killing Christians, putting him in prison and all that. So keep that in mind. And desired of them of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of you see the expression this way one person saw it <laughs> do you see it yeah. well the word this in the Greek should have been translated the more literally if he found any one of the way now whether they were men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem for a cup of tea. No, he wanted to kill them. Okay? He wanted to destroy Christianity at its root. Nip it in the bud. And anyone that said they believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he wanted dead. He just had Stephen stoned. Remember that in Acts chapter 7. And so Saul of Tarsus was an enemy of the cross until he met Jesus on the Damascus road right after this. And then he began preaching and teaching Jesus. But notice that Christianity was called the way. That was it. There were no church denominations. Now let's look at the next one. Look in um, Acts chapter 22. Again. Now Paul is preaching or really sharing his testimony before King Agrippa. I am verily a man which am a Jew. Born in Tarsus, a city of uh, Cilicia. Yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, a, a highly respected uh, scholar. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. This Jewish, the Jewish law. And was zealous toward God as you all are this day. And I persecuted the way. I persecuted the way. Putting to death, binding and delivering unto prisons both men and women. So anyone that was of the way. So what was Christianity called for many, many years? It was called the way. Look at the next one. Acts 24 verse 14 and there are many other scriptures but I just chose these but this I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy the way they call heresy so worship I in other words anyone else called the way heresy the Jews called the way heresy so worship I the God of my fathers believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets so you take these verses and many others that talk about the way and we get a revelation of something. There was never a church denomination in the beginning of Christianity for many, 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 many years. There were no Protestant churches. There were no Baptists. There were no Methodists. No Presbyterian. No Foursquare. None of these existed. It was only the way. There was no Catholic church. Roman Catholicism was not accepted in, in Rome until 380 A.D. And so therefore, in Rome, what they did, they, they worshipped many, many gods and really persecuted Christianity. Anyone that was called a part of the way, you know what happened in the Roman Colosseum, they were killed. They were made sport of. 
Okay, so here's our foundation. The church, Christianity, was called the way for many, many, many years. And it wasn't until 11 years after Pentecost, and Romans, look at Acts 11, 26, that, Christian, that those that, let's say, walked in the way were called Christians. And when they had found him, they brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole, that a whole year they assembled uh, themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first. Where? That's Acts 11. In Antioch, that's 11 years later. That's when they were called Christians. So there was no Christian church per se. There were only a group of people that practiced the way. And what was the way? Well, Jesus is the one that reveals to us the way. As a matter of fact, to the Jew, to understand the way, to the Jew, the way was the Torah. And the Torah was the law. So, when Moses was given the law, and they were told to follow the law, the law became the way. Do you know in Proverbs 16, 25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. People say there are many ways to serve God. But wait a minute. There's a distinct difference between Jesus and Buddha. Mohammed, Krishna, even Moses, they were all way showers. In other words, that's the way. The Torah is the way. Karma is the way. And they would list different things that they would say, this is the way, that is the way. There are many ways and all that. But guess what? They're way showers. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the door. I am the gate. Isn't that what he said? So you see the Jews when he said that. Obviously they're up in arms because the Torah is the way. They're pointing to the Torah. They fail to realize that everything in, in the Old Testament law. With all of its feast days, festivals and all that. were pointing to him as being the way. Those are types and shadows of the the antitype who is Christ himself. So he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Which is why he said, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So the way, you could say, is a standard that was set for what purpose? To the Jew, it was a way for them to experience human flourishing. You follow the law, which is the way. You'll be pleasing to God, and you'll experience human flourishing if you follow that way but Jesus put a stop to that he said I'm the fulfillment of the law and now follow me you have to follow me and that's exactly what he said and that's exactly what he meant now that's our foundation for what I want to share with you about Pentecost because if you look with me in Colossians chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 how many remember that when Jesus was on earth, he said that I will build my church? Didn't he say that he would build the church? Well, if he is the head of the church, he has a right to build the church. And the church should be constructed in such a way pleasing to him. He existed before anything. This is from the Amplified. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He is first. Now, but notice in the middle there, Christ is also the head of what? The church, which is his body. So Christ being the head of the church established his church. And when did that church have its beginning? And where did that church have its beginning? It began on the day of Pentecost. Now yes there were others that were born again before the day of Pentecost. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the establishment of the church when he told his disciples. You go there and you wait and you do not proceed to evangelize the world. And fulfill the great commission until I tell you. 
And that's going to be when I get back to heaven. Remember this. He said, I'm going to my Father. And when I do, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. In other words, you will know when the Holy Spirit comes that I've made it to heaven and I'm seated at my Father's right hand. You'll know on that day that my destination was made. And so on that day when the Spirit of God fell and the advent of the Holy Spirit and the church was born, that was the beginning of the New Testament church, the way. But now notice this. Notice in Acts chapter 2, Peter, who was a coward before Pentecost, Peter, who was in hiding with the other disciples, the apostles, before Pentecost, and now they're in this upper room on Pentecost, the descent or the advent of the Holy Spirit floods his soul, and all of a sudden he stands up before all the people there in Jerusalem that were celebrating, you would say, Pentecost from a religious perspective. But the Holy Ghost didn't fall in the temple. The Holy Ghost fell in some undistinguished upper room where these people were meeting together. Think about that as an insult. All these people have, they're going through all the celebrations of the Feast of Pentecost and doing all they're supposed to be doing. But the Holy Ghost doesn't fall there. He falls over here in this back street upper room where these 120 hungry hearts looking for God. He preached a powerful sermon in front of those that wanted to kill him earlier with a newfound boldness in his being. And he promotes Jesus Christ and accuses them of killing him, but God raised him from the dead. Now, if you want to still live, to say that among all those people in Jerusalem and all those religious leaders is not the wisest thing that you can possibly do. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the what? To the what? You know what? I'm going to have to get a couple more donuts for all of you this morning. You've got to get fired up. You've got to get wired up. He added daily to the church such as should be saved. Notice this, the church of Jesus Christ began on the day of Pentecost with the advent of the Holy Ghost who was sent to do what Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16, that he would come into the earth, he would enter to the being of those people, he would guide them in all the truth, speak to them what he hears of the Father, show them things to come, anoint them, appoint them, equip them, empower them, give them boldness to stand before the enemies and proclaim unashamedly the gospel that Jesus Christ saves, Jesus Christ heals, Jesus Christ delivers, and sets the captives free. And that's exactly what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. At the end of his message, he said, and this promise of the Spirit is for you and your children and as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And they went forth and they did what? They preached everywhere and the Lord added the church. 3,000 people at one time became the church. This is now the New Testament church in its inception called the way. Not Baptist, not Methodist, not Foursquare, not Presbyterian, the way. That's the church. So what is the church of Jesus Christ? It's a group of people that are born again, spirit-filled, faith-walking, tongue-talking, love-practicing, devil-resisting, living epistles of the living Christ, known and read of all men. Not a denomination, not a sect, a group of people that have a relationship with Jesus Christ just like they did that began with them when they were born again after his resurrection and then spirit filled on the day of Pentecost. That is the New Testament church. And in actuality, that's what the church should look like. Look in Mark's gospel chapter 16. This is called the Great Commission. And for some reasons, it's so, so many times left out. He said to them, go into all the world and preach your doctrine. Preach your religious tradition. Preach your man-made uh, rituals and rules. Preach the Torah. Preach the what? What's the gospel? Christ came. Christ died. Christ was raised from the dead. He's alive right now and he's the same yesterday, today, forever and he doesn't change. He still saves human beings. He heals their body, delivers them, sets them free, fills them with the Holy Ghost and power. That's the gospel. And he's, look at this. He that he's talking to his apostles, right? I know that. But who's, who's he talking about? He that believes and is baptized shall be what? 
He that believeth not shall be what? And these signs shall follow only the apostles. Who shall they follow? All that believe. All that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Right? So then after the Lord had spoken to them, what happened? He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming his word with what? Signs following. So once again, I take us back to the day of Pentecost. I take us back to where there was no organized church whatsoever. And the church was called the way for many, many, many years. We know at least 11 years and maybe even 22 years or 24 years because Paul still called it the way in Acts 24, which is really one year for every, every chapter of Acts. So for all those years, there was no organized Baptist church, Methodist church, any kind of church. It didn't exist. None of them existed. They were the way. All right. Now, on that day of Pentecost, Jesus began his organized church. They were empowered by the Spirit. And the first thing that we see that distinguishes them from any other people group in the world is what we call Pentecostal power. Now, we call ourselves a non-denominational, interdenominational church, interdenominational church. But really, we're a Pentecostal church as well. And I want you to see where the name Pentecost got its name. Pentecostal. Why? Because we believe that what happened on that day was the inception of the church. The birth of the church. And what happened on that day should be happening today because it's the same church. The same church that it was then is the same church that it is today. What happened in the middle of all that was man got in the way and did his thing. That's what happened in the middle of it. So what is Pentecost all about? Talking about what happened on the day of Pentecost. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? The advent of the Holy Spirit came. And what took place then? Those that were believers in Christ got filled with the Holy Ghost and received power. They didn't get saved. They got filled with the Holy Ghost and received power. So, the first thing we want to bring out is what? Pentecost is about receiving the Holy Spirit and power. It's about empowering people to proclaim Jesus to a lost and dying world. It's, called, it's talking about anointing people as Jesus was anointed. His apostles were anointed. And now he's saying, you too got to be anointed. How can you get holier than Jesus? Can you? No. But did he do one miracle before he got anointed with the Spirit? No. Acts chapter, uh, John chapter 2 tells us this beginning of miracles Jesus did when he turned water into wine. He didn't do that until he got anointed with power from on high. Acts 10.38 makes that very clear. God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power who then went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So that's number one. The anointing comes upon a person and empowers him. Take the, the apostles. Did the apostles walk with Jesus for those three and a half years? Were they properly trained by Jesus for all that time? Absolutely. Absolutely. But did he feel that they were equipped to go off and, and do his work? No. No, no, no. He said, don't you do one thing until you get endued with power from on high. Until you're anointed from, with power from on high. And what's going to happen? There's going to be a manifestation. And what's the manifestation? Twofold thing. They spoke in tongues. And they what? Were emboldened. They were empowered. There was a newfound power in their bones that made them fearless before their enemies. And so they rose up, praised God, unashamed of the gospel. It didn't matter whether or not they were going to kill them. They stood before all the leaders in Jerusalem, all the high priests, all the, uh, all the leaders, the, the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and all them, and proclaimed Jesus in power. And when they were taken away and they were threatened, remember this? When they went to the city, of, uh, when they went to the gate of the temple called Beautiful, and the man was there begging alms of those that were entering into the temple, and Fastened his eyes on Peter and John. And Peter and John said to them, we have, Silver and gold we have none, but such as we have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he lifted him up, and he was healed. He had never walked before. He was lame. Well, they were taken into question because they performed such a miracle before all the people. And the people were just honoring them. And now they're fearful because this name of Jesus is doing miracles as he did when he walked upon the earth. And so they threatened them and said, Do not teach or preach Listen to this. This is the attack of Satan. Do not teach or preach 
in the name of Jesus any longer. What does he mean? Don't say Jesus can still heal the sick. Don't say that name can still make the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the maimed be made whole. Don't you dare talk about that because that's threatening our Judaism. It's threatening what we believe, our belief system. And so they threatened them and said, don't you do it. And probably at one point they beat them and said, don't you do it. You know what Peter and John did? They went into their own little shack and they just cowered together and they were humbling themselves and just says, we better never do it again. Ever do. Is that what they did? Oh, no, 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 no. You know what they did? They went to their own company. I like that. You're my company. They went to their own company. You're my company. We're, we're people of like precious faith, right? And they said, did you hear what they said to us? And they repeated everything that they were threatened with. And they said before the company, Lord, your God that made heaven, earth, and see that, and all that in men is. Who about the mouth thy servant David said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The king stood up against the, uh, the, the people of God and, and, and Israel, all of Israel. And they stood against him and his Christ. And what happened was they prayed this prayer, said, now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto us your servants that with all boldness we may preach your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and signs and wonders be wrought by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. I'm ready for some shaking to go on. I don't know about you i'm ready for the place to be shaken you think someone falls under the power is shaken that's nothing compared to what god wants to do when he shakes the whole place where they're assembled together and listen to this and they spake the word of god with boldness they were filled with the holy ghost and spake the word of god with boldness it takes that power to be bold in front of your enemy when they threaten you and tell you say silence you and say don't you preach don't you teach can you not hear what's happening in our country today? They don't want you to pray at school. They don't want you to pray at any kind of event. They want to keep God out of government. God out of everything that's, that, we, that we believe He should be in. Take His name off. And God we trust, take His name off our money. Think about it. They don't want us to say the Pledge of Allegiance and use God in it. In other words, don't preach or teach in the name of Jesus. I submit to you today that there is a boldness coming in the body of Christ and people are rising up to a place where they're not concerned about what people say. They're concerned about what God said. And with this Holy Ghost fresh anointing from on high in these days of the latter rain, we're going to be a voice for God upon this earth and God will stretch forth His hand to heal. Signs and wonders and miracles will take place by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. We're talking about shaking the place. Praise God, not just a person, but the whole place. And they proclaimed it, and there was great power and great grace upon them. You see, the church was a born-again, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-empowered church with the glory of God. And it went from that for 300 years the same way until then the Dark Ages came. And we lost all that. You realize that was all lost? Think about Gregory uh, first, I think it was, that, that all of a sudden taught cessationism. This isn't for us today anymore. The Holy Ghost isn't for us today. The power of the Holy Spirit isn't for us today. All these outpourings are not for us today. Healing is not for today. Gifts of the Spirit are not for today. That's what happened over the years. And the Dark Ages, you can't understand the Bible and so on and so forth. And for many, 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 many years, people sat in churches like this and you can't really understand the Bible. You can't read the Bible. You can't even know anything about the Bible. You've got to let us interpret the Bible for you, etc., 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 etc. And guess what? People just became, you know, detached. Church became an obligation. Not a divine empowerment. An obligation. Well, my, why am I here today? Just to be, I put in my time, Lord. No, 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 no. I'm here to stir your heart. I'm telling you, I'm here to stir your heart to get us to go back to where we once were in the book of Acts. This is the real church. This is what the church should look like. Why? Because you heard the testimony of the girl with the, ba with the child with autism? That's Jesus at work. That's Jesus. Remember the one I tell you about with spina bifida lying on the floor over here ready to give birth? Spina bifida and said abort the child but the power of God came on her lying on this floor here and that healing took place and that child was born perfectly whole. That's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever, and always. My Andrew getting a creative miracle that they said is impossible. Get his book. Read the book and you'll see all the things that took place. You don't get that by believing that, well, that's all past. That's all done away with. Mm -mm. That was yesterday. Today, this is a different day. 
I've said this before, I think it bears repetition. Those that teach that healing stopped with the last apostle, when the last apostle died, healing stopped. Who was the last apostle to live? John. John was, he was the one that didn't die a martyr's death. He lived to be a ripe old age, so let us know that. Remember what Jesus said? What if I want him to live on here forever, Peter? Peter, you mind your own business and do your own thing. But John, what if I want him to live until I come back? Remember that? Mm-hmm. So can you imagine there's a healing line going on? We invite John the Apostle, beloved apostle, is going to be in our church. And he's holding a healing meeting here because healing is for the, as long as he's still alive and breathing. Healing takes place. But when he dies, there's no more healing because you see it ceases then. Cessation, that's what it teaches. Last apostle died, no more miracles, no more signs, no more wonders, no more healings or anything like that. Can you imagine him being over here? Me, you know, he's probably pretty old by this time, so he's sitting in a chair. And people are lined up all the way out the door, maybe 250 people in line. And there he is, he's laying hands on the sick and they're getting healed. On the sick, but he's old. Can you imagine your number 250 in line? And he dies 248. <laughs> And you just stand there. Only two left. Only one in front of me. Have you had that happen? Something closed this right before you got to the... <laughs> what sense does that make? Does that make any sense at all? Oh, sorry. He died. No more healing. Shut off. No more miracles. No more signs. No more wonders. Jesus said in the Great Commission, He that believes on me will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Do you believe on Jesus today? You have a set of hands? You can lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover and they can recover. Okay. So what happened on the day of Pentecost was this, twofold. The birth of the church but the advent of the Holy Spirit. You ready for this? The Holy Ghost. You see the temple of God. You remember when Jesus came and before he left he did two, he did one thing two times. When he first came he cleansed the temple of all the garbage that was going on. Remember? And before he left and to be crucified, he cleansed the temple. Did he not? You think he's concerned about the temple being cleansed? He got rid of all the tradition and said, look, it's time for reality. Okay. When you got born again, he cleansed the temple. He cleansed it. Step number one. And so on the day of Pentecost, they were cleansed temples, washed in the blood of Jesus. But now, on the Day of Atonement, remember when they took that blood and secured eternal, they secured forgiveness of sins, remission of sins for one year? Remember when they offered sacrifices and the Shekinah glory would come down and fill the temple? Remember they would, that would happen when they offered their sacrifices? The glory could be seen. It would come down from heaven. We've got a picture out there in the narthex. You can see it. But the glory would come down and it would fill the temple. The priests couldn't even stand up to minister for by reason of the cloud. They would fall over under the power of God every time it manifested. Now that your temple's been cleansed, you become the candidate for the glory, the tongues of fire that falls and fills your temple you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. It is the Shekinah glory of God that no longer dwells in earth-made holies of holies, but He now dwells in the temple of your heart on the inside of you. If you've been spirit-filled, you've been born again, you've been cleansed. But now, this here was an experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost, the Shekinah glory from on high, giving birth to the true church, enabling them to transact business for Jesus on the earth and getting the lost saved, the sick healed. You know what evangelized Rome? Miracles, signs, and wonders. If it were not for the miracles, signs, and wonders, in Rome they would have continued worshiping all the false deities. You realize that? But it was the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that took place by these apostles and prophets and then also the lay people went about doing all these wonderful works for Jesus. And evangelized were all of Rome. And that's how they came to Christianity. Now, I said all that to get to this. I don't know how many I'll get with this, but look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and this is verse 18, I believe, from the Amplified Bible. The Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, is speaking to the church at Corinth, and this church got into fanaticism and wildfire in using the gifts of the Spirit. I thank God that I, the Apostle Paul. You know, if I asked the average Christian out there, they wouldn't even know Paul 
spoke in tongues. I thank God that I, the Apostle Paul, speak in strange tongues or languages more than any of you at all, or any, any of you or all of you put together. Did you hear that? Wait a minute. The Apostle Paul, who just said, when I'm speaking publicly, I'd rather speak three words in my lang language than, in, than a thousand words in an unknown language. Why did he say that? Because unless it's interpreted, you don't know what I'm saying. So this was a, a church that really spoke in tongues a lot. And they did it incorrectly. To get a better understanding, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the power, the gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about order. You got power, you got love and order, and love is in the middle. So in other words, he was saying, look, this is right to have this, and this is what you should be doing, but you're misusing it. If Paul spoke in tongues more than all of them put together, which is a lot, when did he do it? Where did he do it? In his own private devotional prayer life. Because you see the manifestation of tongues that took place on this, this day in, in, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. That was Jesus organizing his church. And that was Jesus empowering his church. And that was Jesus saying this is what the church looks like. Okay. And so Paul the apostle spoke in tongues more than anybody them all put together. But he did it in his private devotional. There are three manifestations of tongues. Number one, sign tongues which took place on, on Acts chapter 2. Number two, ministry tongues. That's for another day. But that's a tongue interpretation of tongue in a public setting. Three, devotional tongues are subject today. Devotional tongues. And that's where Paul did it. In his own private devotional life, he prayed in the Spirit or prayed in other tongues. And let me ask you a question. If Jesus is the head of the church, and he's the one that initiated this in the Jewish camp, in the Gentile camp, and then throughout all the book of Acts, and even later, who are we to change it? Are we better than God? Are we better than Jesus? If Jesus needed the anointing, if the apostle needed the anointing, do we not need the anointing of the Spirit? The same empowerment? And trust me, you talk about healing, deliverance and all that, this is how it manifests. So, number one. Well, we as a Pentecostal church, we're distinguished by many different ways. The zeal of God that we have. Uh, extravagant worship that we do. And then obviously speaking with other tongues. Not necessarily publicly, although we'll talk about that at some point. But this ministry of tongues is the thing that really causes all kinds of things that disrupt people's thinking about what we believe. But yet, I challenge anyone to go back here and study what I'm talking about and say that it's not true. Jesus said, you'll cast out devils was number one and speak with tongues, number two. A universal language given by the Spirit for specific reasons. And the reason why the church of today has really shot away from it, but to be honest with you, the fastest growing church is the charismatic Pentecostal church of today. And that's, that's a fact. Because people want reality with God. Okay? Reality with God. Now, even before I begin with number one, I first got saved. I came out of a, I came out of the Catholic Church. I'd never gone to another church before, but I've been born again now, and I'm just on fire for God. And I was led to go to a specific church. I went to this particular church. I was born again, saved, loved it, but I was reserved, and I sat in the front pew just like they're sitting in the front pew right here and they began this extravagant worship that I have never heard before and it took me for a loop so I sat on my hands like this and said you're not going to get me to raise my hands I'm not doing it I was as stubborn as can be just sat on them. They're up there going like this and praising God and worshiping God. I'm like, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. If you play around a slippery creek bank, eventually you're going to fall in. I fell in. 
You see, it had to get through all my religious tradition and get down to my heart. And when it finally penetrated my heart, my hands went up. Okay? But I said that to say this. There was an altar call. And I was, in, for some reason, inspired to go up. Because I was so on fire for God, I wanted more of God. And so he called for an altar call at the end of the service. And I go up and I knelt down. And they had altar workers just like we have here, prayer partners and all that. And they came to me and said, what do you want? I said, I want more of God. Well, what do you really want? I said, I don't really know. All I know is I just got saved and born again. And I want more of God. I want more of God. I want all that there is. I'm going to give myself in consecration to God. That's what I want. Then he said, well, have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of tongues? I said, I don't even know what that you're talking about. You might as well be talking Greek language to me or something. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, that's what you want. I said, it is? He said, that's what you want. Okay. Okay. I'm open. I want to receive. So I'm on my knees. And he's praying for me. And praying for me. And praying for me. And 15 minutes go by. He's praying for me. And praying for me. All of a sudden, I'm getting concerned because people are leaving the church. Even the other workers are leaving the church. A half an hour goes by. And I'm still on my knees. And see, what he told me was, just go ahead and whatever rises up within you, just speak it out. Just pray it out. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So after about 45 minutes, I'm there with my mouth wide open, catching flies. <laughs> because I think something's going to happen supernaturally where all of a sudden some words are going to flow out of my mouth. And it's going to be in another language that I've never, you know, was taught or anything like that. So I'm on my knees with my mouth open. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, everybody's ready to go. They're ready to hang me because they don't want to go home. All right. So finally, one of the workers finally says to me, do you feel anything? I said, my tongue is on fire. That's what I feel. He said, well, then speak. If he'd have told me that 42 minutes ago, <laughs> I would have done it. People think the Holy Ghost speaks, but it says they spoke, not the Holy Ghost. They spoke. Well, no one taught me that. I, I didn't know that. And that's when I got filled. And listen to me. Because you see, don't put your emphasis on tongues. It's not tongues. I received the Holy Ghost. And when I received the divine person of the Holy Ghost and He came inside me, He gave me something I did not possess. He gave me a teaching gift that I never had. I wouldn't speak in front of people. I would never talk in front of people. You heard my testimony. I, would, I dropped my class at Youngstown State University, communications class, because I would not. I trembled to stand in front of people. And that was it. I quit. I said, that's, no, that's not for me. When the Holy Ghost came in me and just fired me up and took over my tongue and burned my tongue and spoke in another language, which I've practiced every day since, the gift came into my spirit. The divine enablement, the empowerment comes from on high. It's His church, not my church. We take the gift that God gives us and we use it to His honor and to His glory. Okay, so number one, the first thing that we recognize is this. And I could... I could this, this, is going to, this could be one of those hour and a half meetings that we have. I can go on with this forever. Okay, but I'm, I'm going to just throw it out to you real quick and we'll, we'll close. Number one, it's the evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Someone says, well, I know I'm filled with the Holy Ghost because I had goosebumps the other day when I was in church. You could have goosebumps at a rock concert. You can have goosebumps watching a very romantic movie. Anyone could have goosebumps. Am I right? I watched a nine-year-old girl sing the other day. It gave me goosebumps. I couldn't believe it how she sang. It was wonderful. It was amazing. I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost because I got goosebumps. Matter of fact, we have those. look at these verses. Let's throw these verses up. I'm going to close here in a moment. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. What does it say? And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and had goosebumps. What did they have? Goosebumps? No, and they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Look at Acts chapter 10, verses 46 and 47, or, 44, or 45 and 46. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they, for they saw they had goosebumps. No, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. What does speaking in tongues do? Magnifies God. Anybody want to magnify God? 
Okay. Then answered Peter. Did you know that Peter was also filled with the Holy Ghost, spoken tongues? Mary, the mother of Jesus, was filled with the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues. All the apostles spoke in tongues. Paul, the apostles spoke in tongues. Every single one of them spoke in tongues. Look at Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, this is 20 years after Pentecost. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they had goosebumps. And what did they do? Spoke in tongues and prophesied. Wait a minute. You mean 20 years after Pentecost, 20 years they're still preaching the same message 20 years later? Uh-huh. What happened in your denominational church? What happened in, in all of Christianity from the very beginning for the first 300 years? That's how it was. But after the dark ages came, oh, that's done away with, that's done away with, that's not for today, that's not for today. I'm telling you, it's for today. Jesus never changed. It's His church. That's the advent. That's what Pentecost is all about. And I'm going to close with this next last testimony. We're not going to get into all these details because there's, so many, there's many, many reasons why every, every believer should be born again, spirit-filled, talking in tongues in their private devotional life because the benefits are absolutely phenomenal. But this benefit is why my daughter's alive. My oldest daughter is alive today because of tongues. Okay? And here it is and I'll close. I think. No. I'm kidding you. Imagine you being me. I'm on fire for Jesus. Just got saved. Loving God. My dad asked me to teach his Bible study. I'm teaching his Bible study. It's in the basement. Every Saturday night, the charismatic movement is going on. The charismatic movement was a movement of God with an outpouring of the Spirit. In the Catholic Church, it was going on at St. Luke's right down by where we live. I preached there. Matter of fact, in the church, power of God fell. People spoke in tongues. The priest spoke in tongues. I'm, I'm telling you. Okay, the charismatic movement. If you're aware of the charismatic movement, there were many priests that were born again, spirit-filled, speaking in tongues, laying hands on the sick. They were recovering. They were getting healed. And they were having Pentecostal meetings, charismatic meetings, right in the church. Okay? I preached at it. So I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm just like this, standing in the basement. My dad had this long table that he made, a bunch of people that are around the table, and I'm preaching on healing, the subject of healing. All of a sudden, my daughter and many other kids that were, that were there attending were being babysat by an older child, an older person, teenager, up in the attic. It was a Cape Cod house up in the attic, and my dad remodeled it and all that and so for some odd reason crazy reason they set my daughter on the on the rail and if you were to look down from that rail it's 10 feet straight down and the stairs are wooden below fathers put yourself in my shoes while I'm speaking no feedback or anything like that I hear a boom above my head that is so loud what happened? In my gut, I know it's my daughter, Lisa. She's only three and a half. And I hear this loud boom. And I run upstairs. The whole group runs upstairs. I open the attic door. And there's my daughter lying on the floor. Eyes split open, blood pouring out. I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I'm not a medic or anything like that. I, tr I tried to pick her up and stand her up. She collapsed to the ground. She couldn't stand. I took her in my arms along with the other group members. Put her on the living room floor. Laid her on the rug. I didn't know what to do. I lay my hands on her belly. And all of a sudden the Holy Ghost comes on me. And I am speaking in tongues a thousand miles an hour. I'm speeding at this point in tongues. Someone might say, that sounds stupid. If I said to you, Kesedich, and you said to me, Zordazamanjalich, anybody know what I said here? Does that sound stupid to you? My grandmother taught me that. Bless her soul. Kesedich means how you're doing. But in a tie-in it says, Isodazamanjalich is an expression, the little fish eats the big fish. Whatever that means, I don't know. What means. But I said, Grandma, what does that mean? It means a little fish eats the big fish. I mean, the big fish eats the little fish. I said, okay. So if I say, how are you? And you say, the big fish eats the little fish, that's supposed to mean... 
Am I the big fish or the little fish? What do you, which one am I? So there I am like, are you kidding me? But my point is, do you, did you understand what I said? Unless you were Italian and you had that and you understood that dialect and whatever, right? Oh, just because it sounds foreign to you doesn't mean that it's not right. So I'm praying in this new language that I just received by the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying for my daughter who's lying there in a pool of blood and can't move. Looks like she could be paralyzed. I don't know what, what's going on. And I don't know how long I was praying in tongues. But you know when you pray in the Spirit, one of the benefits is that you activate the power of the Holy Spirit. You activate the power of God. And I'm praying for her. And I'm praying for her in tongues. When all of a sudden, once again, the Spirit of God was on me as I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, my head goes up as if some unseen force picked it up and went, Now she's healed. Thank you, Jesus, she's healed, I said. Let's go finish the Bible study. I got looks from the people like you would, you, you, you wouldn't believe. They're going, call an ambulance. Call an ambulance. I'm going, let's go finish the Bible study. She's healed. Got a washcloth. Wiping her little, the blood off her face. I go back and finish the Bible study. Carry her home. In my arms. Put her in her bed. I go to bed. And the devil comes along and says to me, your daughter's going to die during the night. You'll be accused of you know, denying her help and etc. etc. I said, You're too late, Mr. Devil, because I know she's healed. I know she's healed. The Holy Ghost came on me. The power of God came on me. I know she's healed. You should have seen. Her this side of her face didn't look like her. It was all black and blue. It was all it was hor horrific. It was like she's her on this side, but on this side it's not even the same girl. That morning, the next morning, we're awakened by her running into the room. She sees in herself in this mirror and she goes, thank you, Jesus, you healed me. She's not even four years old. And she's crying out, thank you, Jesus, you healed me. Now notice she's running now. Three days in a row she did this. And on the third day, this here that formed a pus pocket, like an infection type thing, fell off her face. Perfect brand new skin underneath. And by the following Saturday, she was so healed that when I took her back to the next Bible study a week later, they looked at her and said, this cannot be the same girl that fell. I said, oh yes it is. It's the same girl that fell. Tongues activating the power of God saved that girl's life. Or saved her from being paralyzed. Or saved her from who knows what would have happened in her head and everything else. When you fall straight, 10 feet straight down, head first, hitting your eye on the corner of a wooden step. And so when people say to me, oh, that tongue's business is not just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. It's time to get back to God as He is. And establish churches the way Jesus established His church. When He said, I am the way, He meant it. There's the right way to serve God. And we're going to get into that. But I'll tell you what. We are going to manifest the presence and power of God in this place in a greater measure. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, 
Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless you.